Hello, my name is Banning, and I get to serve as one of the pastors at the 8th Street Church, and I want to welcome you here in the fifth week after the Epiphany, as we set aside a few moments to allow the way of Jesus to work its way into the nooks and crannies of our lives. Now, throughout the season of Epiphany, we've actually held on to the same practice, and that was praying the Wesley Covenant Prayer. Now, this isn't because we're lazy or the wells have run dry and we've just run out of good ideas for our weekly practices. Rather, we wondered what might happen in us if we gave ourselves to the same practice for an entire season. Similar to practicing an instrument, a sport, a craft, or a hobby, what fruits and what pruning might the Spirit of God have for us? I'm convinced that the kind of transformation we long for, whether we realize it right now or not, it takes time. And so we give ourselves to this practice of praying the Wesley Covenant Prayer for perhaps longer than we're actually interested in praying it for, because it just might take some time for the Spirit of God through these words to make their home in us. It might take time for new perspectives, new revelations, new insights, and new convictions to show up. So, this week in the way of Jesus, I want to again invite you to pray the Wesley Covenant Prayer. Your labor's not in vain Though the ground underneath you is cursed and stained You're planting and reaping are never the same Your labor is not in vain Here in Epiphany, we have been working our way through Paul's first letter to the Corinthians as we consider what does life in the new creation reality look like? What might that mean for us? In what ways are we holding on to old creation? So this week we turn our attention to 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Friends, let me go over the message with you one final time. This message that I proclaimed and that you made your own. This message on which you took your stand and by which your life has been saved. I'm assuming now that your belief was the real thing and not a passing fancy, that you're in this for good and holding fast. The first thing I did was place before you what was placed so emphatically before me, that the Messiah died for our sins, exactly as scripture tells it, that he was buried, that he was raised from death on the third day, again, exactly as scripture says, that he presented himself alive to Peter then to his closest followers, and later to more than 500 of his followers all at the same time, most of them still around, although a few have since died, that he then spent time with James and the rest of those he commissioned to represent him, and that he finally presented himself alive to me. 
It was fitting that I bring up the rear. I don't deserve to be included in that inner circle. As you well know, having spent all those early years trying my best to stamp God's church right out of existence. But because God was so gracious, so very generous, here I am. And I'm not about to let his grace go to waste. Haven't I worked hard trying to do more than any of the others? Even then, my work didn't amount to all that much. It was God giving me the work to do, God giving me the energy to do it. So whether you heard it from me or from those others, it's all the same. We spoke God's truth and you entrusted your lives. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. For I am with you, I am with you. Resurrection. Jesus died and Jesus is risen. It's as absurd and mysterious as it is wonderful and hopeful. It is what Jesus' followers have proclaimed for centuries and what we long and hope for in the end. Resurrection. But as Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he finds himself trying to convince the Corinthians of this matter. Friends, let me go over this one more time. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. And on the third day, Jesus was raised from the dead, resurrected. This was not a resuscitation from the dead. This was not a scene of a ghost or a spirit, but a bodily resurrection from the dead. As much as Paul and I imagine others had gone over this central point, it just wasn't taking root. Maybe it was too good to be true. Perhaps it seemed ridiculous that not only is Jesus alive, but is alive in a new kind of way. Maybe they couldn't conceptualize something like this. To be fair, not only had resurrection never happened before, but they were immersed in a world saturated with Greco-Roman philosophy and worldviews that frankly thought little of the body and the material world and focused on the soul and the immaterial. So at best, maybe they could conceptualize a ghost. Knowing this, it's understandable that the idea of a bodily resurrection did not make sense to Greeks and to some in the church at Corinth. It was completely outside their worldview. That kind of shift might take time to sink in. Hence, Paul repeats himself. Resurrection. Jesus died, was buried, and is risen. Resurrection was this holistic Jewish hope that the dead would be raised to a new bodily existence of some sort at a future time. Views varied on what this would look like where this would take place. But there were a few things that most agreed on. The when and the how. 
The resurrection was something God would do at the end of the current age, in the new heavens and the new earth. And while that is a topic in and of itself and maybe beyond the scope of this particular episode, the point is this. Resurrection was something that would happen at the end of time. And how would this happen? Well, by the Spirit. The Spirit that hovered over the deep in the beginning. The Spirit that descended on Jesus in his baptism. The Spirit would do the work of resurrection. So what might have been a bit confusing for the Corinthians was this. It was not yet the end of time. What was supposed to happen at the end had somehow happened in the middle. Essentially, in the resurrection of Jesus, God moved up the start date of this whole restoration project. So, for the Corinthians who refuted the resurrection happened at all, Paul speaks of Jesus as the first fruits of the great harvest still to come. What happened in Jesus is a foreshadow of what God will do in the end. But also, what happened in Jesus means this. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us and has already begun to breathe new life in our present bodies. Friends, the evidence of this is all around. When someone turns their life around, when a marriage is healed, when a bitter heart is transformed, when we forgive one another, when love has the last word over fear, when we love our enemies, when we practice generosity, when kids have safe spaces to learn and grow and develop. Because of the resurrection, we find that we too are being transformed, healed, resurrected even now. The vineyard you plant will bear fruit. The fields will sing out and rejoice with the truth. So how do we respond to this work of resurrection? Well, I'm going to let N.T. Wright answer that for us. He writes this, What we do in Christ and by the power of the Spirit in the present moments is not wasted. It will last all the way into God's new world. And in fact, it will be enhanced there. The resurrection means that what we do in the present, our work, our dispositions, the way we love our families, our friends and neighbors, all of this matters now and it will matter in the end. N.T. Wright goes on to say this, you are accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world. Every act of love, gratitude and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or walk, 
every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings and for that matter, one's fellow non-human creatures. And of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world. All of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. What we do in Christ and by the Spirit in the present is not wasted. Which means this, your work, your labor is not in vain. And this is why we have invited you to, again, pray the Wesley Covenant Prayer. What God started in the resurrection of Jesus, the Spirit wants to continue in you and through you. And so, because this has been our practice for the last few weeks, I want to invite us to pray it in a new way. Maybe we need to take our time with these words. Allow the Spirit time to breathe and speak as we pay attention to what's happening in us. So perhaps you want to do this in your own way and on your own time. But if you have the space now or you want to come back to this podcast when you do have that space, I'd like to lead us through this prayer and allow these words time to sink in because let's not kid ourselves. These are difficult words to pray, which reminds me of something. While there are clear historical reasons why some in Corinth didn't believe in the resurrection, I've wondered this week, maybe, just maybe, deep down some of them understood the implications of resurrection, which is this. Resurrection does not happen without death. We can't talk about new life and transformation without talking about death. And that is jarring and scary and painful. Which is again why we are praying this prayer throughout Epiphany. Because it just might take some time for these words to take root. For us to open our hands, our hearts, our lives, and allow the Spirit of God to do a work in us that it did in Christ Jesus. So wherever you are, I want to invite you to settle in. Get comfortable. And allow this prayer to take root. I am no longer my own, but yours. How are you being invited to let go? Put me to what you will, 
Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. What comes to mind when you pray these words? What are the images you see? The people that come to mind? Or the jobs or vocation that come to mind? Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Let me be exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. How do these words make you feel? What surfaces in you when you say them? And now God, I freely and heartily yield all things, all things to your pleasure and disposal. Amen. Friends, know this. God builds God's kingdom. But God intends his wise, creative, loving presence and power to be reflected, imaged into his world through us. And that is why your labor is not in vain. And we have everything we need in the Spirit of God to do this work. Thank you for joining us this week as we learn to live the way of Jesus together. I pray that as these words start to take root in us, as the Spirit produces fruit and prunes what needs pruning, that we would know and experience the joy and the wonder of new life, resurrected life. Amen. Amen.